Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am Brian from BannersOnThePartway.com and I am joined once again by a man who could have had class, he could have been a contender, he could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what he is. It's Brad. How you doing, Brad? Wow. That one felt more personal than they have been recently. Um, I it's thought we were getting away with Yeah, I know. I don't have anything against Marlon. I don't know why he's so, so upset with me. I think I peaked with you, being compared to Earl Boykins, and now things have gone downhill since then. Well, that was way too flattering of a comparison, and you know it. You are our family's answer to Marlon Brando in, like, his Island of Dr. Moreau phase. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, we also have a man who keeps his friends close, but he keeps his enemies closer. It's Joel. How you doing, Joel? I honestly don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Well, what do you mean you don't know how to respond to that? You always have a witty comeback. Uh, Joel would, but yeah, I don't because I'm not Joel. Well, as you might have picked not up. Joel? Yeah, you might have picked that up by the fact I'm not snorting very loudly right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't feel like I'm about to get charged by a bull. That is right, folks. He's back. Braden is back from shoulder surgery. Um, his labrum is back in one piece. So he is back on the podcast. We gave Joel the boot. Um, Joel's wife has a birthday today, apparently. Uh, I've never met her. He claims she goes to a different school, but um, good for you, Joel. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Xavier was in action twice this past week. Obviously, they were able to pick up a win on Wednesday night against Georgetown before turning around and going to Creighton and losing by a score of 77-66. They beat Georgetown 66-57. So the defense picked up in the Georgetown game, but uh, the Creighton game was almost the exact same score as it had been a couple weeks earlier in the Cintas Center. So Xavier's flaws were kind of back on display against Creighton. Uh, This was uh, another game in which Xavier um, struggled to keep an opponent off of the offensive glass. They struggled to hit jump shots. Uh, They didn't really get to the line very much. Um, The turnovers were a factor again. So what, where are we with, what is going on here? Is it is it on the players? Is it on the coach? Um, so, so Brad, you have a theory. Why don't you go ahead here? Well, I mean, clearly it's on a little bit of both. But we had a, a pretty good conversation going on Twitter this week uh, that we'll touch on in a little bit as to where you really place the blame. For one, Xavier's going seven deep right now, so that's going to wear anybody out in Big East play. But I think if you're going to look at it, you got to start with looking at the players. Um, Travis Steele is not the one who shot 6 of 15 inside the arc like Najee Marshall did. He's not the one shooting 6 of 20 behind the arc like the whole team did. He's yet to have committed a turnover this year. Um, You know, he's yet to miss a steal out on a box out. And I know that all these are pretty obvious things to say, but he's been getting the team in a position to make plays and they just don't. I think the start of the Creighton game really encapsulated that, where Xavier was just missing layups at the start of the game. It wasn't that the offense wasn't working or that we weren't getting good looks or that, you know, Creighton had done something 
astounding that no one expected. We ran our offense, we got the looks, and we missed. And then we ran our offense, got looks, and we missed again. Uh, the team is just not – the players are not playing very well right now. When you don't shoot the ball well and you turn it over way too much, it's really difficult to tell what the coach may have been trying to implement because when you know Najee comes into the half court and dribbles it off his foot and out of bounds, it's really hard to say whether Travis Steele's offense would have worked on that particular set or not as the ball goes rolling over towards McDermott on the bench. So, Well, but maybe Coach Steele told him to do that. If he did, if Coach Steele is telling them, hey, try dribbling it off your feet, for one – I mean, I think that's probably worth a look in that we probably couldn't play offense a whole lot worse using our feet. Um, And then, yes, that would rest with him. But I thought that the coach all-access thing, uh, which seems like it's a good idea that we're in on the ground floor of and like a lot of other good ideas, kind of needs some kinks ironed out. But it showed that, I mean, he clearly knows what he's talking about. He tells him what to do to get him in position. And... Uh, you know, he can't make the shots for him. I, the argument you could make then is, though, well, these are his guys and people he brought in that are missing the shots, and that's one thing. But as far as you get out there in the game, I'm laying this an awful lot at the feet of the guys who just are not executing. I mean, Kiki Candy had an offensive rating of 20. <laughs> that's pretty pathetic. Um, counterpoint, that is 24 higher than – the offensive rating Bryce Moore posted last time we played Creighton. So <laughs> there is that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a shallow team right now. You got Gooden, who's injured. Um, and according to some people, um, probably the worst human being who's ever lived. Um, I, I don't think that. <laughs> but a lot of people on Twitter really go after Clinton Gooden. Uh, I saw one guy theorizing that he faked the injury which I know every athlete who's in his senior year obviously wants to fake injuries so he can not play as much in his final year of college basketball. Um, but anyway, um, Gooden's injured. You don't know what's going on with, with Ramsey. Um, it seems like he's headed toward a medical red shirt, but I say that with the caveat of I'm not a doctor and I'm also not a college basketball mm-hmm. coach who's real well-versed on what it takes to get a medical red shirt. Um, but, and then, I mean, for whatever reason, and I know it's my shtick, but I'm also like genuinely curious. Dontarius James did not see the floor at all this week. Um, you know, um, who knows what all goes into that. Um, I'm not at practice. The coaching staff all is. And so I'm assuming that there's something that they see there that that contributes to that but um yeah so when you have seven guys and i mean for the life of them we have a few guys who just cannot buy shots right now um it's looking pretty bleak the one thing i will say is this week without quentin gooden um coach Steele leaned very heavily into paul scruggs running the point and I think you could see that in Paul Scruggs' scoring output uh, because he only had uh, five against Georgetown. He had seven against Creighton. Um, you know, you have to go back to last season to find back-to-back games in which Paul Scruggs was held under double digit, under, yeah, under 10 points. So it clearly 
that shift has affected him and it's blunted the one person who had been very effective for Xavier on offense um, no longer has been that effective this week because he's bringing the ball down the floor every time. And obviously, I mean, he, he logged 77 minutes this week. Um, the odometer's probably getting pretty high on him, but I would have liked to see Coach Steele try and do something to get Paul Scruggs off the ball because him bringing the ball down 35 minutes a game is not what this offense needs to get back going. Um, he is the best three-point shooter on the team. He's, I think, the most efficient scorer on the team. And putting him at the point and watching him run it for 35 minutes while everybody else struggles to try and find a rhythm, I don't think uh, is effective. And, I mean, in neither game, even in the Georgetown game, which Xavier won, the offense never found a rhythm. Um, and so I think moving Paul Scruggs off the ball would have been something worthy of looking at and – I understand that Najee Marshall is a forward. Uh, Kiki Tandy is more of a uh, scoring guard. Uh, Bryce Moore is not a point guard. I understand that Paul Scruggs is the only person right now who's healthy and resembles a point guard. But to me, when your offense is struggling that badly, uh, I would like to see them at least experiment with something that shifts him off the ball and gives him chances to do the things that make him very efficient. I don't know about you guys. Uh, maybe I just went on that big wrong rant and the whole time you guys were like, listen to this idiot. Um, <laughs> no, that was a good rant. You know how our audience feels. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, people have been talking about doing this all year long. And, you know, if you talk to basketball minds, they'll tell you, you can't just plug and play guys because, you know, he looks like a point guard. Or, well, he should be able to play point guard. He's the junior in college. That's not how it works. And Paul Scruggs has just given us a one-week, two-game demonstration of how hard it is to pick up the ball and play point guard in the Big East. He's arguably Xavier's best player, and he inarguably just demonstrated that he can't run the point. Well, I mean, he can. Well, he it's can. It he just had, turns he had him into 11 a assists, Right, he 11 assists to capable. six turnovers. I mean, that's not, like, mind-blowing, but you take that um, – the thing is that when he's on the point, though, he's not off the ball. And he's Xavier's most effective offensive weapon when he's off the ball. And so I just, yeah. I mean, and the man had 10 rebounds against Creighton. Um, I don't know that you can lay any of this at Paul Scruggs' feet. I think he's put in a situation because of injuries that he's not able to do the things he does best. And I would have liked to see them try and find a way to get him doing the things he does best in one of those two games um, because I think that that would have at least helped the offense uh, back-to-back 66-point games. He's not really going to get it done, though. Um, that's still less than a point per possession in both games. Uh, so, anyway, Braden, um, do you have any thoughts here? Um, I would just like to point out that with Scruggs at the point, you are, like you guys said, sacrificing his scoring off the ball but also the fact that Najee had he had 18 against Georgetown, pretty decent showing, but he was not very efficient against Crichton. So it wasn't like Scruggs running the point got Najee going even more. So you take away one of your best scorers, and then the leading scorer wasn't really able to fill that gap. So the other guys definitely had good games against Crichton, like Fremantle had a great game. Carter had a pretty solid game. But, like, 
our top two scorers um, not performing super well in back-to-back games uh, has me a little bit worried. I think you should be a lot worried. Okay, yes, I'm a lot worried, Brad. Thank you for well. He's on some real powerful painkillers right now, so you probably like his house could be on fire right now, and he wouldn't be that worried. <laughs> I am chilled out. Right <laughs> like now. feeling pretty good about this, actually. Um. So anyway, we have um a thing here of I mean Xavier obviously uh you know the goal this year is at this point just to try and find a way into the MCAA tournament. Um without buying a ticket, obviously. Try and find a way to get invited to the NCAA tournament. How about that? Um, so nice. we have laid out here by uh, at Xavier Grit, who if you don't follow him, he's a great follow on Twitter. He, he does some cool video stuff, um, and he's always um, trying to find the silver lining, which this season has not been super easy. Um, but Xavier's currently sitting at two and five. And so he has mapped out the most likely or what he interprets as the most likely path for Xavier to get to nine and nine before the Big East tournament, which would be to lose next game to Marquette, lose at Seton Hall. So Xavier would be sitting at two and seven, win at DePaul, win versus Providence, lose at Butler, win at St. John's, lose versus Villanova, then win versus DePaul, win at Georgetown, win at Providence, win versus Butler. That gets Xavier to 9-9. Nine and nine. They'd be 20-11 and 11 overall before the Big East tournament. He says, win at least one game in the Big East tournament, finish the season 21-12. and 12. Will probably be good enough for somewhere around an eight seed. I don't know about that, but I think it would be good enough to get Xavier into the tournament. So my question is, A, is this actually the most likely path for Xavier to get to 9-9 nine and nine in the Big East tournament? So, Brad, I'm not going to ask you if this is likely at all and let you be negative Nancy all over the place. Is this the most likely path, do you think, for Xavier to get to 9-9? The most likely path? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm having my, a hard time wrapping my brain around a most likely path for Xavier to get to 9-9. It's okay, I see. already said you weren't allowed <laughs> to be negative. Yeah, but I am. You know That's what? You're going to take um, a time out here. Braden, <laughs> is this Xavier's most likely path to get to 9-9? Nine nine? Upon looking at it, uh, I'd say yes, because the wins that he's got laid out, we sweep DePaul, we finish the sweep of Georgetown and St. John's, and we pick up a win against Butler. And we also sweep Providence, sorry. But Looking at that, I think that is the best way of doing it because home against Marquette, I think, is going to be a very tough game, um, especially if Marcus Howard is going because we made it clear that we weren't really able to stop him when we played them first. At Seton Hall, uh, I don't really see us having much of a shot there. At Butler is going to be difficult. I, I think this what he has laid out, I think, is our most realistic chance of getting to 9-9 nine and nine. Uh, before the Big East tournament, maybe snatching an extra win off Nova at home or uh, picking picking one up against Marquette at home. But what he's got laid out here, I think, is the best bet that we've got going forward. And I'm saying that because I'm optimistic at this point. All right. So now, everybody, you can skip like two minutes forward or you can listen to Brad Grouse about this for a little bit. So, Brad, come in and rain on every parade like the old maid you are. I prefer. Are you still there? Yeah, and I'm still being negative. (laughs) Um, Actually, I'm not. I'm going to be realistic here. I think that our chances of beating Butler 
are less than our chances of beating Marquette. On the other hand, our game against Marquette is coming up tomorrow, and Najee's still limping into practice today, so that's not a good sign. Um, nine and nine is not realistic. It's not going to happen. Uh, this team is because we'll be ten and eight. Right? No. Um, if you look at the <laughs> eleven projections, and seven, holy cow, man! Wow. You really turned your mood around. So Ken Palm has us at seven and eleven in the Big East. Well, uh, what's he know about anything? Good for him. Bart Torvik, right there. He also at seven. He's a grown man who goes by Bart. <laughs> Warren Nolan, who I'm pretty sure. No, I'm not Doesn't sure. Doesn't exist. <laughs> Next. I'm pretty sure Noel made him. Warren up. Nolan has us. Uh, I'm not even going to say what it is, but he now has us winning exactly zero quadrant one games. I'm only two more quadrant two games. You can do the math on that and figure out where that lands us for the year. Nine and nine is not happening. Hmm. Um, this team just isn't good enough to get that done. If they were, though, if they were, this I think is the only way it can happen. Really, you, you need to pick up. You got to steal a win against somebody somewhere. We can't beat Villanova um, because I think that's the 11th command. So you're going to have to knock off Butler, either at Butler or at home. That's going to be tough to do at Butler because if we're going to win late, they'll just mess with the clock. So that's got to be at home. That has us running off four straight at the end of the year. I don't see that happening. But if we're going to get to nine and nine, this is the way it happens. And of course, a huge boost will be beating Marquette tomorrow. Well, here's my deal on why I think beating Butler at home is more likely than beating Marquette at, or Villanova at home is because Butler's offense since Biggie's play began has barely been better than average. Um, they've turned the ball over a ton. They're, they're third from last in the Big East in turnovers. They actually turn it over more frequently in Big East play than Xavier has. Um, and so if they can, if Xavier can get the tempo to a point where Butler um, starts to turn the ball over a lot, Butler um, is not awesome at defense, but they're pretty good. Um, to be honest, they're not, I mean, their tempo, their ability to control the tempo is what makes them good. If Xavier can get Butler out of their tempo at home, I don't know that Butler has the sheer firepower that Villanova or Marquette has. And I don't think that Xavier is going to go out there and just blow anyone away, um, no matter who, what defense they're playing against, because Georgetown's defense is by far the worst in the conference, and Xavier put 66 points on them. Uh, but if a team can grind themselves to a halt on offense, like Georgetown did the other night, that gives Xavier a chance. And so that's why I think the Butler game at home is Xavier's best chance um, at really picking up a marquee win uh, in the remaining Big East schedule. And obviously, I mean, Xavier, to have any chance at uh, an at-large bid, they have to sweep DePaul. They have to sweep Providence. They have to finish the sweeps against St. John's and Georgetown. Um, if any of that doesn't happen, I think, I mean, it's going to be really tough to get in without the auto bid. Um, but I'm still optimistic. I think, you know, 11 and 7, maybe 10 and 8 in the worst case scenario. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're already in the worst case scenario. I thought for a second. My life is a nightmare. Some of Braden's Nope. I'm just on what I'm always on. High on life, man.
anyway, uh, we got some questions from Twitter that aren't actually from Twitter. Um, but one reason why this team's a tournament team. So we have Brendan Burns who says, I can tell you why it's not. Brad, is this like a pseudonym? Is this like <laughs> no, a but I love this style type thing. <laughs> <laughs> if your best win is UConn or UC, you're in deep trouble and heading straight to the CBI. Um, I'm going to have like a really hard time thinking this isn't actually you, Brad. But Brendan, um, I guess that's true. However, I think right now, yeah, Xavier's best win is UC. Never mind. I was going to refute Brendan's point, but he's right. We're going to the CBI. No. Um, Xavier does have opportunities to pick up better wins. We've been banging that drum for a while. Um, and I will say this. It really doesn't matter how many opportunities you have to pick up better wins if you lose one. So <laughs> Xavier needs to start winning games. That's the reality, which I'm not splitting the atom here. But, I mean, say they can beat Butler uh, at home. You know, pick off Butler or Villanova or Marquette that instantly becomes Xavier's best win. Um, they just need to find a way to win a game here um, and, and try and start getting this thing turned around like happened last year. Um, we have Ryan Graber who hit us with a good one. If you could add one player from the college basketball landscape this year to this team, who would it be? So Braden, um, who would it be for you? Uh I'd take Miles Powell away from Seton Hall and give him to us. I'd just take Miles Powell add... away from Seton Hall. <laughs> I'm, I'd be content with that too. If we're insisting that we add somebody, I'd take Miles Powell because I don't know if you've guys, you guys have noticed, we don't shoot threes very well as a team this year. Uh, he shoots threes very well by himself. So uh, if we take him from Seton Hall, add him to us, uh, automatic boost. Um. Okay, I got a counterpoint for you there he's shooting 34 percent from three this year whoa that's amazing though that's super <laughs> I mean, good say he's only behind is, zach freeman that is uh he's shooting worse from three than paul scruggs is this year just powell and Fremantle, the splash brothers xavier i'm calling it right now if we steal him from seton hall somehow powell is 0.2 percentage points behind kiki tandy this year these are facts these are all just facts that i'm throwing out there um, to make you sound stupid. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I no, don't need any help with that. Thank you very he much. would obviously be a great player to add. Uh, Brad, who would you say? Um, I'm going to Michigan, and I'm taking Xavier Simpson. Once he's back eligible to play, I'm not sure what it is he did <laughs> that got benched. But uh, Xavier needs a point guard to get And a guy named Xavier. That would be really fun, I think. He yes. spells his with a Z. Get Paul Scruggs. Do you off. think he'd start spelling it with an X if he came here? No, because it'd be too confusing then. Okay. That would get Paul Scruggs off of the point. It spreads the offense out. Simpson takes care of the ball really well. Unlike the other people we have playing the point for us, he finishes inside the paint well. He's not a great three-point shooter, so he'll fit right in there. Um, but he's a dog. And other than Paul Scruggs, we Tyreek definitely is, but we don't seem to have that guy who is just nails tough this year. And that's kind of odd to me. Simpson would definitely add that. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, clearly got to solve the point guard problem. I don't know if we can somehow arrange to convince him to like call himself Bryce or something and transfer here. Sorry, Bryce Moore. Um, 
but we, we need some help. I don't, can we transfer people? Is that okay? Like buy them like they do in, in soccer? Yeah, the, the January window is still open for three more days. I think we definitely need to make an approach then in Michigan and see what it's going to take. That's the ticket right there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, whoever owns Xavier, I don't know who do we protest against. Father Graham, I guess. Won't open the checkbook. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going with uh, going out to Washington. I'm going to get Quante Green because just what this team needs is somebody who's academically ineligible. I think that would be the cherry on top of (laughs) what has been the decompensation of a once promising season. Uh, But in all seriousness, quite a green, uh, excellent three point shooter. Um, He's shooting 44% from three has a 36% assist rate. Um, He is the, he's, I mean, he's a great shot making point guard. Um, Picks his spots really well. Um, Had that Washington offense humming pretty well um, until he somehow got academically ineligible, which blows my mind as a D1 athlete to become academically ineligible because I was at a school where we were NAIA and it was really hard for athletes to be academically ineligible. I mean, you had to like skip study halls and, you know, (laughs) like flirt with all your teachers. And I mean, it was nuts. But anyway, um, I'm sure there are extenuating circumstances for poor Quade. And if he came to Xavier, they would all be fixed. So Quade, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, please come to Xavier. Um, knock down some shots. So good question there from Ryan, though. Um, we've got this from Rob Doster, uh, who did not submit this question to us. Don't worry. Uh, we're not, you know, going to get big heads or anything. Um, but his take on Xavier is they're at Seton Hall on Saturday, host Villanova next month, have two more games against Butler. They probably need to win at least one, if not two of those games to have a chance at the NCAA tournament, Brad, you're like, they're not going to win those games, but even if they did, they would have to win more. So we're just going to skip you saying that and go straight on to, uh, did I get it right? Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. all right. You can say it if you want to, I don't mean to rain on your parade. Uh, if they somehow, I'm knock kidding. Off. I do need to rain on your parade. <laughs> uh, we Got have him. Michael, Michael Pardish on, uh, Facebook says coach, um, I hope he knows I'm not actually Coach Steele, uh, but thank you. Coach, hearing you a number of times when Mike in the recent game in the huddle set up specific plays, not knowing with what frequency during timeouts this is your norm, might you go with more set plays or routine motion offense, knowing that you lose relative what you lose uh, relative to predictability, but possibly gain in productivity? So I did notice Coach Steele ran a lot of set plays out of timeouts. That's something we've seen a lot. Um, from him, but what are your thoughts of Xavier mixing in more set plays into their offense um, instead of just running the the weave motion at the top every time down? I'm going to – it seemed – oh, go ahead. I, I'll take this from the coaching standpoint because um, we had a really good discussion with uh, the master of reality on Twitter. He's a huge Xavier fan and is always tweeting to everybody. Um, about X and also it's possible to have a pleasant conversation with on Twitter. So shout out to him in this current climate. Uh, he said he coached ball for 23 years and he asked basically the same question. What is going on with Xavier's offense? He says he sits down and breaks down all of the games afterwards. And I mean, more power to him. I watch him once and that's more than enough for me most of the time. 
um, just to kind of lay out some bona fides here. I know we've all, we all played in high school. Um, Joel Bryan and I all coached in high school. I coached college ball for a while. So kind of know where we're coming from here. I think the problem that Xavier's running into is that they can execute set plays well, but to run set plays, you've got to get into your set every single time. And the new shot clock is hampering that. I think the other thing that hampers that is that Xavier shoots the ball so poorly that it's difficult to get into a set and make a defense react. Um, You can't really run a high back screen offense because nobody's hedging hard on two shooters stepping outside the line because, I mean, why would you? The team is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the nation. Um, So that kind of rules out any sort of high Princeton for that old Wisconsin swing offense. Um, You can run the two horns high with, you know, if you bring Fremantle and Jones up to the uh, double high post, which we've seen recently, and that works pretty well. Um, I think Steele has definitely been experimenting with going to that more. But to run set plays, you got to be willing to come down, get set, and execute every time. That takes Najee Marshall out of his natural flow because he's best when he can catch the ball on the run and rip towards the rim. When you get him into a set offense, then, again, he's going to have the same problem because nobody has to step out onto him. Um, So you can't run a rip side for him. You can't run anything um, off the UCLA cut or a D cut for him because his defender just doesn't have to follow him all the way out. So Xavier runs into the problem where their set offenses are generally effective but can't be extremely effective because of how poorly they shoot the ball. And that dovetails right into their problem when they run that um, continuous motion offense is that they're liquid, they're ready to go, but their shooting is so poor that the interior is packed that you end up with them standing outside having to take um, assisted three-pointers that aren't going to go. Xavier has one of the highest assisted three-point rates in the country if you go on to hoopmath.com. They're not doing a lot of dribbling into three-pointers or creating their own. They just don't go down. They're fine looks that aren't going to go. Until they go, um, you know, to answer answer Michael's question, the continuous motion offense isn't going to work real well and set plays aren't going to work real well. You can't run a basketball offense when the other team knows you can't shoot the basketball. I cut you off a little bit there, Bede. What do you have to add to that? Um, I was just going to say, like you said, the sets um, look like they are more effective than the routine motion. But one thing I would add um, with regards to the shot clock is that we tend to walk it up off made baskets quite a lot so we're not really even starting an offense until 20 or 21 seconds left on the shot clock so i mean i'm not a basketball expert by any means but it just seems like getting up the floor quicker not necessarily rushing it but just getting into an offense when you've got four or five more seconds to work with because that could make a big difference in uh, an extra pass to an open guy a little extra time for somebody to work in the post uh, or something like that but just that we were very sluggish getting the ball up the floor. Um, I don't mind us running slow uh, per se, but we just we're, we're very lackadaisical getting it up the floor and actually getting into an offense. Once we get there, we're doing all right on the sets, but I'd like to see us just get up there and get it going a little quicker, give ourselves a little more time. Yeah, the one thing I would add is just when you run 
I mean, Xavier's motion offense typically begins with a, a screen and roll for uh, Jones out at the top. Um, and then if they can hit him on the slip to the basket, they try to. Um, but when you run set plays that take him away from the basket, you're basically, I mean, he's Xavier's, um, if you look at Xavier's offensive numbers on Ken Palm, the one that's in green is offensive rebounding percentage. And right now, Tyreek Jones is sixth in the nation in offensive rebound percentage. You don't want to run sets that are going to bring him away from the basket, you know? So I agree. It's kind of frustrating watching them run the weave around the perimeter while he just kind of stands down there trying to find position. Um, But that's where he's going to be most effective because he's one of the best players in the nation at getting misses back. Um, And so, I, I'm sure they could come up with sets that would not compromise that, but uh, there's definitely a reason for why they run an, an offense that pretty much just involves him being down there trying to get position. Um, so we have a few last quick hits. Obviously the big uh, news story in the sports world this, this week uh, is the unfortunate death of uh, Kobe Bryant um, and his daughter in that helicopter crash. Um, Kobe never played college basketball, but I mean, he's had such an indelible mark on the um, basketball landscape in this country in general. Do you guys have any thoughts or any comment on, on uh, Kobe's life? I, I was never. Brayden, actually, you're a little younger. Uh, you're, you're from a younger generation. Um, so you've probably grew up with Kobe being in the NBA. So I'll let you start. Uh, yeah, I just. I was never a huge Lakers fan, not really a huge NBA fan, but I used to watch a lot of sports center when I was around seven, eight years old. And I remember I'd just come down and usually the story would be about how many points he put up, how many shots he took. Like the dude, while I didn't, you know, love the Lakers or anything, he was fun to watch. He'd get buckets. He'd be entertaining. Um, I just saw a little uh, snippet on Instagram today about uh, Jordan Crawford talking about the first time that he had to guard him in the NBA. Um, And he said he realized why they call him Black Mamba, because when he would want the ball, he would start to hiss at his teammates like a snake. So he said he was guarding him, not thinking that this was real. And then he just hears him go like, when he wants the ball. And I never knew that. Glad I do. But uh, yeah, he was, he was fun to watch and it is it is sad that he uh, died so young like that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, again, I was not a huge Kobe fan or an NBA. We're not really an NBA family, but um, I was at work when I heard about this and it's one of those moments that just kind of hangs with you. Um, Even if it's not, you know, a guy that you looked up to or idolized or a big fan of, he was just kind of a part of American fabric. Um, And I think really, the second act of his life, once you get past the ugliness in Colorado, um, whatever you think of that, he had really, um, especially the last several years, made important and intentional steps towards um, really emphasizing equality as a dad of girls. I love to see other guys out there, you know, advocating for their girls. That was one thing um, I really appreciated about him and, Anybody that loves basketball has something in common, I think, with all of us uh, to begin with. And there's no question that he loved it. This just another one of those kind of 
I don't know if it's a quintessentially American moment, but where you're going to know where you were when you heard that it happened, regardless of what your personal thoughts on the guy were. Yeah. I think, um, when he first broke into the league, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I never really watched the Lakers that much, but, um, I became somewhat of a Kobe fan as a person, um, watching the 2008 Olympics and, and the U S had not won any of the last three international basketball competitions. And they were in the gold medal game against Spain and it was pretty tight. And then the last like eight minutes, Kobe just took that thing over and you could see how much it meant to him um, to represent our country on that international level. And like how that he, he just was not going to lose that game. Um, And obviously it was an instance where I was cheering for Kobe's team and like, I finally got like, this is why people love this guy because he just will. I think he had 15 points in the last eight minutes. And I mean, like it did not matter what Spain did. He was going to get the ball. He was going to shoot and the shot was going to go in. Um, and at one point he, he pulled off like a huge four point play to, um, to really seal the victory. And at that moment, like I didn't, you know, I'm, I've never been a really big NBA guy, but I was like, I understand why people love Kobe Bryant because he was just not going to let his team lose, you know, and um, he meant so much to so many people and it's, yeah, it's just really sad. You know, you can see all of the players we grew up watching. um, So upset about the loss of of this guy that, um, you know, was more than just a teammate or an opponent to them. He was their friend. So I watched uh, Tracy McGrady give an interview. And I was, for some reason, a huge Tracy McGrady fan, probably because he just shot every time like me. Um, but Tracy McGrady was having such a hard time with it and all this stuff. But, you know, did talk about how um, Kobe really showed him a lot, what it meant to be a dad and a husband and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. Um, but maybe on a, a lighter hearted note or a more positive note, uh, I've got this question for you guys. If you could have witnessed one sporting moment in your lifetime, so it has to be a sporting moment that happened in your lifetime in person, what would it be? So Braden, your lifetime's shorter than the rest of us. So there are less sporting moments for you to pick from. Why don't you go? <laughs> Thank you. Um, Keeping it Xavier related somewhat, and also just because this was really cool, I'd have to say um, Xavier versus Arizona in the Sweet 16 um, back in 2017. Uh, I watched that game uh, with my parents, my little brother, and we had a blast watching it at home. Um, I assume we'd have had a blast watching it in person uh, just because of how hyped we were after um, Malcolm Bernard cleared that final rebound and then absolutely leveled a walk-on in celebration. So that would probably have to be mine. Okay. Yeah. I was watching that game in my living room, jumped up to celebrate and got tackled by my wife because I failed to check the blind side in my celebration. (laughs) And that's on me. She went for like the jumping kind of hug celebration. And I was just kind of in my own world. Uh, One sporting moment in my lifetime, I think I would take Chelsea winning the champions league. Um, The Didier Drogba goal right at the end there with David Louise. Uh, telling him that he was about to score and then Drogba finishing it off from the spot. Um, I know we all went nuts in the front room of mom and dad's house watching that game. Being there would have just been amazing for me. 
Gotcha. I'm going to go with one. I don't know. I don't know why it stands out in my head, but game four of the 1997 ALDS. And I'm sure Brad remembers this game. I sure and Braden do. for sure doesn't because <laughs> he was not alive yet. But the Indians were down uh, 2-1 with two outs in the eighth inning. And Sandy Alomar came to the plate against Mariano Rivera. And the Indians had to rally. Um, and obviously Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time. Sandy Alomar Jr. was not the best hitter, but he was like Mr. Indians. I mean, he had been through it all with the franchise back when they were terrible, and now they were competing for World Series. And um, Rivera went low and away, and Sandy just flicked it out the opposite barrel, uh, home run to right field to tie the game. And I think in that moment, uh, I, I don't know if sports have ever been better for me than right then. Because at that moment, I was like, we're not, there's no way we're not going to win the world series, uh, which of course we didn't. I don't want to really <laughs> think about what came next, of but that moment I think was, it might've been the happiest I've ever been with sports um, in my life. Just watching Sandy pump his fists and circle the bases. Cause you knew how much it meant to him because the city of Cleveland meant so much to him and the, the franchise meant so much to him and he meant so much to us. And I mean, yeah, I think if I could have been there in person, the Jake went nuts when that happened. Um, you know, I probably would have like chest bumped a stranger because that's what people do in Cleveland. <laughs> uh, but but it would have been awesome. Uh, so that that's my pick, and maybe I, it's not as grandiose. But no, man, I rem- I can picture that without even having to watch it. And I tell you what, he's still beloved up here. He rides his bike um, around the town. I say town as if Cleveland is, you know cedarville uh, he rides his bike through the city a lot and i mean there i don't know if there's anybody outside lebron james and probably bernie kosar still for everybody dad's age um that gets as much respect i mean people love the rock alomar in cleveland that's reaching way back there i i know but you don't knock the rock so that's true anyway uh, that's going to do it for this week uh we hope you guys enjoyed it uh xavier's going to be back in action a couple more times uh they host marquette on wednesday so that is either tomorrow or today depending on when this gets out and then they take a trip up to new jersey to seton hall um for what could be um a, a huge victory if xavier can pull it off uh that is on saturday and we will be back with you next week